Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to female sexual health medicine specialist, Dr. Jennifer Berman. Do you feel sluggish? Are you unsure which way to turn? Are you an empty nester? Dr. Jennifer Berman, former co-host of The Doctor, and with a thriving Beverly Hills practice understands exactly where you're at. She went from a successful life to total despair and has built her life way back up over the last decade plus and is here to give you tools and tips for dealing with pre-menopause, post-menopause, sluggishness, and we even get to discuss spiritual practices and solutions for the empty nesters. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Jennifer Berman. Hey, so glad to be here. Very nice intro, Lauren. That was great. Thank you. So a lot of people would be like, wait, you're a medical doctor and you believe in spiritual principles, but you do not keep that a secret. Anybody who Googles you is going to see that clip from Conan where you're sitting there with your crystal chakras and things like that, which is it's a very fun and funny clip. Before we get into how did you get into the spiritual practice, let anybody who doesn't know you, I know that you were very, very successful and then you went through a point of total despair. Can you mm. talk about that? Because you're known as a super successful person now who's in the limelight, but it wasn't always that. Totally. And, you know, I think everybody goes through challenges, ups and downs. In my case, and, you know, many others, the down wasn't just, you know, a little divorce and a little this, everything that there was a time where I literally, I was talking with friends and I was thinking, you know, what can I do? There was financial stress and duress. There was divorce with an ex-husband who was basically trying to not only strip me of everything, my reputation, my children, but practically have me incarcerated. So, and then there were trauma related to my family and it was, you know, kind of rock bottom. I'm not going to get into all the details of the things, you know, that happened. I certainly, these weren't things that happened to me. These, this was my own doing. So I'm not saying that I just was a victim. These were me living life in a way that really wasn't compatible with society for lack of a better word. You know, I was just very, very restless, irritable, discontent. It was hard for me to work with other people. It was hard for me to, you know, to pretty much do anything. And so it took hitting, you know, a pretty dark bottom in order to develop tools and the insight and the willingness to, you know, to see, do, think, and be, you know, different than I was. And there's been a lot of growth. And what I've learned over the years that in order, you know, growth comes from, you know, failing at some point. So, you know, failing, falling, and being able to get back up. And I was always very resilient. Even in the dark days, I was resilient and strong and tough and I could fight. But this was a different kind of getting back up that didn't involve, you know, being defensive and or being a victim or putting blame on other people or trying to figure out a way out of it to, you know, to scheme or, you know, figure out a way to get a void or, you know, 
to not deal with things. So there's been a lot of growth and it was slow. It didn't happen overnight. But from where I was back then, that was in the early 2000s to where I am today is, you know, a complete 180 degrees, not only in terms of the material things that I have, you know, now, but also in terms of my life in general, my family life. I'm remarried, which I never thought in a million years. I saw that. Congratulations. Those beautiful pictures in the New York Times. Thank you. That's a miracle that I like was willing to get married again because I, you know, I told you I had a horrible, really protracted, very expensive, hideous divorce and didn't think that I'd ever consider getting married again, much less believe in the institution of marriage. So that's a miracle. And then my practice is getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the minute I've expanded into other areas and fields of medicine out of, you know, the need to redefine the medicine is changing, but also out of my own intellectual curiosity and wanting to grow, you know, in other areas. And I think that forget where I was going with the medical side of things, but, oh, I know where I was going. I was talking, when you mentioned about the spiritual thing, I've been practicing, you know, probably 20 years or more in a field when you're dealing with women and sexual medicine and sexual health, they're very, you know, intimate, sensitive subjects that require, you know, a relationship between the doctor and patient. And by the way, I was trained as a surgeon. I, you know, I didn't want to talk to people. I wanted to go in, operate. So the fact that I'm spending time, this is like never in a million years that I think that I would be, you know, talking to women, sharing, you know, for hours. And what I've learned over the years is that uh, through my own growth and my own practices and my own life and my own challenges is that the importance of spiritual health. And I have, and it's not with everybody and it's not with every single patient, but many when I sense, and it's like, I have a sixth sense that there are, this person struggling with anxiety. This person is one that, you know, worries a lot, ruminates a lot. This one is somebody that's super stressed out. This is somebody who's gone through loss and despair and stress and whatever it is that they either obviously communicate that I pick up on is that I incorporate tools and tricks and things, you know, that I do personally, even I give them videos, I give them websites, I give them meditation, you know, recommendations, books. And I also empower them with the understanding that their well-being and their recovery, their health is 60% them and 40% me. Like I can do a lot of different things. I can give medicines and creams and injections and pills and treatments, you know, ad nauseum, but they also have accountability in getting, you know, get in their wellness journey. And once patients realize that, and they have trust in their providing me, and they recognize that there is onus on them to start thinking, being, believing, getting a particle of hope that maybe this is going to get better. Maybe I'm going to, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe I can get my libido back and maybe I won't be in pain anymore. Even just the potential of maybe is huge and makes a difference. There's so much in that. So I'd like, what are your practice? What are the tools somebody listening could do? How do they get their libido back? How, what are things that somebody listening could do say that what are some of the spiritual practices so the types of complaints that women will experience let's say from the medical side of things can be low libido vaginal dryness 
painful intercourse. It might be other things associated with getting older, perimenopause and menopause is, you know, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, weight gain, low energy and fatigue, not to mention the sexual function complaints. So everything starts to kind of fall apart as we get older. They may be experiencing not only vaginal dryness, but urinary incontinence, especially if they've had some babies. And all of those things are easy to treat, let's say just with the everyday, you know, women. However, when hormones are out of balance, and this was true in my own life as well, in my own, you know, menopause and aging process, and every woman experiences menopause differently, but I was one, as many women are, that really, really struggled with mood changes. When estrogen levels fall in the brain, then serotonin levels fall, dopamine levels fall, cortisol, a lot of neurochemical changes occur. And if you're sensitive to those changes, like I was, and many women are, it can really cause emotional instability, irritability, distress, like either depression, you know, you're crying, weeping, depressed, or you're agitated, irritable, homicidal. We all know about postpartum depression and think, which is, you know, needs to be taken very seriously. And that is a result of estrogen withdrawal. So estrogen withdrawal in the brain causes women to feel crazy on a spectrum, some a little bit and some like me a little bit more. So I really am a huge advocate of optimizing hormone balance and women that are candidates, you know, that for hormone replacement therapy. So that's a huge, huge medical tool. So we, you know, that kind of levels the playing field once we can optimize hormone balance. And then that, you know, can be life changing and make women feel better again. Like women say, I'm not myself. I don't feel like myself. I feel hormone replacement therapy helps them get the feeling like themselves again. But in some cases, in some women that have, you know, that are predisposed to anxiety, that are predisposed to depression, that are predisposed to mood disorders, that are predisposed to substance abuse or whatever else, hormone imbalance will exacerbate and worsen and ignite whatever limitation there is. So I hope, you know, with your listeners that are out there, that if you're experiencing any of the mood issues and you happen to be perimenopausal in your mid to late 40s, early 50s, or menopausal, 52 and up, you know, it's worthwhile speaking to your healthcare provider about, you know, getting your hormones checked. But in conjunction with that, with the women that I feel, you know, will, will benefit and that are open that struggle with trauma or anxiety or depression or those worriers. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if my mom, what if this happened? What if that, you know, they're so worried, worried about the future that hasn't happened yet. Thinking about, well, when I did that and then I had a rash and then my sister, you know, the past is I'm able to bring my experience, strength and hope into, you know, doctor patient relationship and talk about staying in the present right here, right now. Everything's okay. I also, one of my favorite books that I recommend to patients is called the untethered soul and i'm totally spacing sabrina will you look up Mm -hmm. the writer of the untethered soul he also wrote the untethered soul at work which i've read all of his book michael Michael singer Singer. michael singer so the untethered soul at work because it helps you that every day being at work is a spiritual practice and being showing up to work and being a good boss and he also wrote the surrender experiment and living from a place of surrender those were all great books for me in terms of of, you know, letting go and being able to be present, be vulnerable and not like absorb all of the things that are going on out there, you know, that kind of stick to you like mud, like this and that. It just allows you to each moment, each and every moment, this moment and that moment and this moment, I'm just 
here and present and everything's okay. So I, those are my favorite books. I also have meditation recommendations that I use. I've It's alarming to me and today that so many people, and I see mostly women, but are not meditating. That was a requirement for my, you know, recovery was meditation was a huge part. And I, you know, am type A and constantly in my head and I learned how to do it. And not that I'm religious and perfect about it at all, but it is something that I recognize and knew very early on was important. And it's alarming to me that so many women, you know, they, yeah, whatever, you know, they just know about it, but aren't, haven't implemented it. A lot, a lot, a lot of people. So I have recommendations and tools for the beginner starting out, you know, with guided meditations on YouTube all the way up. And I haven't even gotten all the way up. What I think is the gold standard is transcendental meditation, you know, where you have a mantra and you're doing, I haven't taken those courses and I haven't gone to that level, but you know, it can be, everyone should have a practice. So I also help my patients with that. Michael Singer also has uh, meditations on Sounds True. So yeah. He does, yeah. yeah. So you have no problem, clearly, with merging your spirituality and your mm-hmm. medicine practice. So you are a recent empty nester. I am. And I am too. So how are you dealing with that? And does that bring up a whole bunch of, for you, because I know for me, I'm like, okay, so what do I want to do now? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, and things like that. Does Is that happening with you too? And how are you dealing with that? And I don't get a lot of chances that I'd like to, Mm -hmm. to talk to other moms who are going through that. Yeah, no, it definitely, there was like, for lack of a better word, a quasi midlife crisis that I experienced when the reality, what I knew was happening became a reality. When my son left for college, I had my daughter for a couple more years till she graduated. And as she was graduating, it was like just this light bulb moment, like a crash that suddenly life was going to change and I am going to be all alone. I wasn't married at that point. And right before, I think my daughter was like in 11th grade, 10th, 11th, when I had the light bulb, she hadn't left the nest yet, but she was getting ready to leave. So by the time I was preparing myself for about a year mentally, so when, you know, the cord was finally cut and I dropped her off at college, it was, I had gone through it in my mind so many times that I feel like I was prepared and equipped, you know, to handle the feelings because a lot of the grief I experienced or I was processing before she even left. But what happens is, you know, suddenly there's a lot of grief and a lot of, you know, what's my purpose now on the one hand. On the other hand, my relationship with my daughter, my son was easy. And, but my daughter, you know, through her teenage years, there was a lot of conflict and, you know, the challenges of dealing with that. But our relationship has improved since she's been gone and her desire to be with me, speak to me, have me around, you know, has changed, which is, and her consideration of me, her perceiving me as a person, not just as you're my mother. I want this. You know, I'm a human being to her now. So the emptiness has improved our relationship. And in terms of me professionally, it's given me a lot more time to go, you know, go back into work. And I'm exploring, you know, I've expanded my practice into, I now offer all of these medical aesthetic treatments. I'm learning about a company here today in the other room. I'm learning about fat transfer and things that have interested in me, things that I, you know, that are appealing to me as an aging woman 
that I'm now able to incorporate into my medical practice. So there's, you know, intellectual growth and my spiritual growth and my desire to expand professionally and not stay in a box. And I think as long as we're learning and doing and creating, we're still living. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, I got to keep doing it to stay productive, stay happy, stay alive and, you know, feel like I have a purpose. What's the hardest challenge you're proudest of overcoming and how did you do it? Honestly, the hardest challenge was wrapping my head around getting married, being willing. I felt like I was suffocating. Like even though I got engaged, I was wearing the wedding ring. I knew we had set a date, but it was still, I kept it as like, it's not really happening. I literally was able to live life like, yeah, I'm going to get married, but I don't have to think about it. And as the weeks got closer and we started having a plan, fortunately, my husband now, he took like he intuitively started doing things that I was supposed to be doing, you know, calling the place, organizing, you know, talking to the flower, like, like, so he started to put the ball into motion. So I could just kind of show up and like, and in the beginning, I was like, yeah, yeah. So then I started, oh, I like those, you know, that's how I like this and that. But finally, the day is coming, and I'm getting married. And I felt like I was dying. Like literally something was getting taken away or I was becoming a prick. I don't even know how to explain it. I really wanted to get married. I really loved him, but I felt really not great. And people were picking up on it, my friends and others. And what I did was a lot, a lot, a lot, like probably on a daily basis for several hours, you know, praying and listening to, I listened to Michael, I listened to those four books, like at least eight times I was listening to Abraham and Hicks and about, you know, changing your thoughts, you know, this is uncomfortable. So switch gears. And I was doing about a a lot, a lot, a lot of inside work. And what I was afraid of, my biggest fear was, you know, not being in a cage feeling, but also that I was going to get grossed out by my husband because I, you know, spent many years like just being repulsed by the male race. I think that they were just like pigs. All they want to do is have sex and blood and just annoying. And, you know, I would date them, but I really, you know, had a lot of my guard up. And what it's I was so afraid funny of- coming from a, a female sexual medical Medicine, <laughs> right. That I was disgusted. But in that, my fear was that we're going to get married and then I'm because I, this is what happened. And it happened many times is that I'd be dating somebody. And then just all of a sudden I'd be like, ew, like you're, you know, I, I don't not attracted or he's annoying, or I'd find some reason to get out. And I was really afraid about that happening. And I started, you know, I'd start to look at signs like, look how, what he's doing. And this is how he's going to be, you know, I felt myself doing that and trying to catch myself, but I don't know what happened, but I got married. The wedding was beautiful. I was there. I was present, positive, no negative feelings. And then we went on our honeymoon to Bora Bora. So it was like whirlwind. And I woke up, I remember waking up in the morning and asking myself, you know, where is the, you know, is it there? What am I? It was, I felt like I had released a demon, like something really bad came out. And I don't know exactly when it like exercised, like when or how, but whatever it was that was 
keeping me, you know, got released. And I saw him exactly as I saw him when we first met. None of that feeling was there. And it's still not there. It's gone. I released whatever that was. And yeah, so that was a challenging process. And then that's how I did it was through faith, hope, and just really digging into, you know, my part. And it wasn't, I couldn't think my way out of it. I had to seek from a higher source my way out of it. And I feel like I did it. Do you have a gratitude practice? Not, no, that is something that I think is important. I do it when I start doing it. I only do it when I'm in a bind or it is a tool. I use it a tool, but it's not something that I practice on a daily basis. However, I recognize the importance of it. When I start doing it, if I'm in a bind or I start doing it and I list the things, I tend to start listing the same things over and over, my family, my health. And then it just becomes, then I feel like I'm doing a rote, I'm I'm forcing myself to think of things as opposed to noticing the beautiful sky out there and how grateful I am to have this window looking at it, which you think out at LA, I can see the sun and the palm trees and how lucky I am. You know, to have that view, the spontaneous gratitude as opposed to the forced list as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. it is important. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Message of hope is I think that we are more in control and more responsible than we think or know about our lives and the things that happen to us and the things that we want, that everything and anything is possible, that assuming that you can stay centered, stay right-sized, stay truthful, honest, and coming from a place of love as best you can. It's hard 24 hours a day, but the doors are open and everything and anything that we want to achieve is possible. So that, you know, I think that coming from where I stand, where I was and where I am now in so many different ways, like with my practice, like even right now, like I'm getting out of my comfort zone, getting these different machines, they're expensive. And that little voice says, what are you doing? You stupid girl. Like how you can't pay for that. How, what you're going to be that you're going to be bankrupt again. And then you idiot, you know, I have that bad girl, that voice in my head. And I learned, shut that, shut that off. I don't listen to that voice. And I try to be responsible and not being reckless. But when I've gone out of my comfort zone, yes, maybe this is going to be a risk, but then I do it, that everything falls into place and everything comes. And then you meet the people who take you to the next level. And this person, this machine leads to that machine, leads to this opportunity, leads to that. And when it becomes easy and effortless and you're not grinding and pushing and manipulating, controlling and chanting, which is how I lived my life before, it becomes fun and work becomes fun and life becomes fun. So that is, you know, the hope that I can instill. And I think that's a beautiful Mm. message of hope. Is there anything that you wish I had asked that you want to impart? Any final message? No, I don't think so. I think you covered pretty much everything, you know, motherhood and professional life and spiritual growth and coming, you know, overcoming obstacles, falling down, failing, failing miserably, and then getting back up again. Okay. Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Thanks, Lauren. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Jennifer's messages of action, love, and purpose. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode on imposter syndrome and how to overcome it. It's a really fun, enlightening episode and definitely a confidence builder. Be sure to join us in the Facebook group at 52 Weeks of Hope, where Dr. Jennifer Berman will be joining as a guest and also Cheryl Cirillo will be a guest within the next week as well. But you need to be a member to meet up with us over there. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share the love and tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. Thank you.